This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. everybody welcome back to shake them ropes the place where friendship never ends and this is a friendship that never ever ends those are the lyrics why the hell not i'm chris novembrino joining me today is jeff hawkins some some think jeff that you dumped me but you're too weak to do that you would never do that i'm weak to do that I- yeah you could never you, could you, you, you couldn't. You, you was, yeah, well, absolutely see, the, not. The plan was if Rob could have made tonight, I was going to drop out for a year so I could have a break and let you two run the show for a while. <sighs> I, <and laughs> the how is that? Wrong. How is that fair after, after this? I, I, you know, <laughs> I'm here. I am here. It is Sunday. We are doing Shake Them Ropes. It is WrestleMania, the biggest WrestleMania. Possibly, a lot of people are saying the best WrestleMania. Certainly, it's the reason why the WrestleMania was two nights. Uh, Jeff, um, man, what did you think about first night? I, I didn't. We really didn't talk. Like you were, I think, a little warmer on it than I was. I was. I liked. I liked at least half the matches in there, and I thought the Boneyard. I understand. Uh, we actually talked about your opinions on this on the show with Rob because Rob adored. How dare you? Well, Rob adored it, and I was taking your position a little bit, but I was kind of in between. I liked it for what it was. I liked that they had some. I think with Undertaker, I'd much rather have this kind of smoke and mirrors action movie sequence and an actual match from him because his last couple outings have been so terrible to be honest sure. with you. Yes. And look, we, we've been saying we wanted to see more creativity out of WWE. You know, we harp on Vince for the we make movies thing, but, you know, it's kind of true. And look, I think for what it was, it was a very good effort, almost great. Uh, there was just that one part that threw me off when, when he, he appeared from beyond the grave behind AJ before dumping the dirt, and that's kind of when I tuned out a bit. But overall, I, you know what? I was like, okay, this was creative. It's better than watching two guys in an empty room. I was cool with it. Yeah. So, I mean, my top line comment on last night, and I guess tonight too, is that this just largely didn't feel like WrestleMania. It just, it lacked any of the magic of WrestleMania. And, and I was thinking about it a little bit more tonight with slightly fresher eyes and in a slightly better mood. And I think, Part of the issue when they look back on this was choosing to run away from the moment in history that we were in and pretending like it wasn't happening. Rather than, I I think here's kind of the alternate vision that popped in my head as I was watching tonight. What if they had done WrestleMania and done it as a fundraiser for COVID-19 wards, buying ventilators for various states, particularly Florida, um, which would clearly be a beneficiary of medical supplies right now. I think if they had moved into the historicity, used this to do something good for the world, I think that it would make 
all of the things that are missing from this WrestleMania much more understandable. It would also make the in-between segments where you could kind of go to various wrestlers. They could be doing a little bit of fundraising for whatever charity it is, the COVID-19 awareness charity of 2020. Uh, Whatever it is, they could be doing that. I just think it would make a more honest through line than what they were trying to do, which was say, this is such a great show that we had to break it into two nights. I actually have not heard that take and I love it. I do. I I wish they had done something because you know what else is the whole narrative of this show on both nights, Stephanie McMahon is rather self-serving. It's show must go on. Hey, this is WrestleMania. This is a tradition. This is about us. This is what we're doing as opposed to, you're right, not dealing with the situation at hand, but also not having anything positive to help out other than being WWE. Right. We know what this isn't, but here's what this is this time. And here's what makes this WrestleMania so special. And here's who we're partnering with and, and, and. And sometimes they're ham-handed with this. If they could have just pulled off this charity overture, I think it would have made the mood about this WrestleMania so much better and and more authentic, at least for me. Um, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, and also not to do it in the way that they do it with like the Susan G. Komen right, Foundation. Right, right. Where it's all about, you meant the old Stephanie line that marketing is the new advertising or philanthropy, th- philanthropy is the new marketing. That was the quote. Don't make it seem like you're doing everybody a favor by trying to raise money or selling certain items or, you know, all WrestleMania, you know, uh, merchandise proceeds will go here. And just make it that as opposed to, see, we're out in front helping, blah, 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 blah. You know, don't make it about you. Just just be a little bit humble about it. And I know they don't like doing that because they like being big and larger than life and spectacle. And I think it would have gotten more eyes on the product. Yes. I think it would have gotten more normies to take a look at WrestleMania. And, and also, instead of that initial thing that was happening four or five weeks ago when they were first having to start doing the empty shows, right? When people were like, wow, this stuff is really weird on, you know, normie Twitter. I think if they were doing this, People, especially sports-starved people, might have tuned in and said, hey, you know, it's for a good cause. Instead of this, which at points didn't feel like it had any cause whatsoever, see Edge and Randy Orton. I'm going to ask a question, and it's probably a little unfair, but I'm going to go with it anyways. It's a two-part question. First, how did you feel about night two overall? And then compared to night one, how did you feel about it? Night one, especially because of the opener, uh, my tweet, I will sanitize a little bit for the on-air thing. I said, this is just raw. And that was my initial impression. It was raw with WrestleMania banners. Night two felt a little bit more network eventy, And I think I, I certainly enjoyed night two more than night one. Okay, I am the exact opposite. I thought night one had a lot more bigger moments. I thought the action was a little bit more varied, to be honest. If you moved the Daniel Bryan and Sami Zayn thing over to night two, I think it would have been a no contest. Okay. No, I I can grant that. But, you know, between the ladder match for the tag titles, the big moment with 
RKO jumping off the sign through the table. That Daniel Bryan, Sami Zayn match was pretty good. I liked the women's tag match probably a little bit more than you did because I was just having yes. fun with the with the epic stupidity of it. I thought Braun Strowman and Goldberg, as opposed to Edge and Randy Orton, didn't overstay their welcome at all. And and the Boneyard match I thought was as good as you were going to get out of these two, as opposed to a live action match. Okay, so yeah, I didn't get to really kind of lay it down on the Boneyard match. There are things I like about this. I, I think the the construction is that I'm an absolute hater of it. That I, I thought it should be flushed down the toilet. I'm not quite there. I thought it was overly long. I thought it moved into some of Vince's worst instincts. And if it had been edited down and kind of abbreviated, it would have been really good. I think it was clever to not have Undertaker have another in-ring match because all the in-ring matches suck. I'm fine with them doing skits. So then you just kind of have to grade the skit on what the skit is. And it was pretty good. I liked uh, John Pollock made a point about they should roll credits at the end of this, and they absolutely should have. Um, but I, I got to say, the gravestone was very, very cheesy. Yeah. Very, very cheesy. It, it, it's very put the cinematic coda on it type of thing. Along but it just looked bad. Yeah. I, I don't think you should be giving AJ's age out there, to be honest. With him. That also didn't help. I was doing mental math. <laughs> I jokingly was like, wait, AJ's 50? Yeah, it's, uh, uh, well, you know what? If we want to go into part two now, we can, unless you have other, any other thoughts from night one you'd like to share. No, I think, you know, the general consensus on Daniel Bryan and Sami Zayn, like, I thought that was a lot of fun. And that's the way that we were talking about on the show here for the last month. They need to be working in these sort of empty arena style matches. Like, that's the type of work that people expect and that will keep eyes on the product. Absolutely. I was surprised it was as clean as it was that, that ending. Um, but I think it leads into the, the not exactly tension, but the, the whole thing with Daniel Bryan has blind spots that he needs drew to help him with. And one of them is being too sportsmanlike. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I see. I see. Um, okay. So we're going to go into part two, night two of WrestleMania. Uh, your commentary teams remain the same. Byron Saxon and Tom Phillips for the raw side. JBL and Michael Cole for the SmackDown side. Uh, I admittedly did not listen to a lot of commentary tonight because I was having a Zoom party with friends watching this live, which was an absolute blast. So I won't have as many critical things to say about what they were putting over on commentary. and what they I was doing. listening to it a little bit, but I also, I, I've been posting pictures of it. I got this guitar in and um, it is <laughs> awesome. And I am enjoying the hell out of it. So uh, commentary was more optional tonight for sure. Yeah. Uh, Liv Morgan defeated Natalia on the pre-show. Did you watch this? I didn't watch that. No, this I thought was a bit of a struggle. <laughs> I, I just don't know. They've had Liv on the shelf for so long. And I think it was like, okay, Natty, help her through a match like you did Charlotte. Right, NXT. right. And I just don't know. if I've, I've never – I respect the hell out of Natty. So when I say this, I'm not judging her as a wrestler. I just think she's been a bit overvalued on her prowess in terms of being able to carry people to a good match. I think that the word I would use to describe her match style in the last four to five years, and I think she's been better than this, but I think this is where she's been at recently, is steady. 
Yeah, it's, it's very teacher it's test not, almost. Right, right, right. It's not that notch above that I think um, I think the reputation sort of um, offers up. She's not going to have a bad match. She's not going to turn no. into a stinker. But she can't – I don't think she can carry bad talent to great places. And, and one of the big problems for Liv has been ever since that aborted – horrible lesbian storyline with Lana, they haven't had a real kind of vision for what they're going to do with her. Yeah, that she, they brought her up a little bit too soon out of training, in my opinion. And you, it's really up to you. To I agree. Get, it's up to you to go get outside training after that. And it's hard to do that when you're on the road four nights a week. Um, yeah, I, 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 it's one of those things where Natty can get to her parts, you know, the split leg thing where she, you know, runs up a woman's back and she has her there's a natty match and she can do the right. natty match but that's all that's all she's shown me in the last couple of years but you know i was a little shocked they gave Liv morgan the, the win i gotta be honest with you i thought natty was just gonna beat her you know kind of you know Maybe a handshake, good job, yeah. kid, kind yeah. of good vibes at WrestleMania thing. This is what WrestleMania is all about, sportsmanship, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's exactly what I thought was going to happen. So, I mean, if they if they see something and live, good for them. I'm I'm I really thought the Riot Squad would be a little bit more than it was, but I think they're just going to go back to that story with her feuding with Ruby or Sarah Logan. Yeah. All right, what was next? Your opener for tonight on night two. A little bit of a surprise coming uh, from what I thought might open the show. Charlotte Flair defeating Rhea Ripley by submission with the figure eight for the NXT Women's Championship. Charlotte moving over to the Wednesday night show, Chris. I guess they want to put a little bit more juice on the Wednesday night product. Um, it's interesting. Uh, it would also be interesting maybe to have Charlotte align herself with the Undisputed Era, give them a kind of a fresh coat of paint. Um, I liked this match. I, I think the, you know, the trash talking is good. I liked when Rhea hit the early riptide and then Charlotte went out and powdered. And I think that she did a good job kind of taking her time on the outside. And then I liked the legwork. I, I am surprised that Rhea Ripley lost the title here to Charlotte. I won't lie. I'm absolutely stunned by it. Yeah. I mean, it is Charlotte's birthday today, by the way. So okay. That might have a little to do with it. I don't know. Um, how did you think Rhea did on her first time on the big stage? There was no crowd really to get her nervous. There wasn't that big time atmosphere. But this is still a fairly big match in terms of eyeballs for her. Do you think she uh, held her own or do you think it was kind of like she was uh, she was kind of the second banana here? I think she was kind of the second banana here. I think she was definitely following the leader here. That was a and leading question on my part, unfortunately. No, yeah, no, no. But I, I agree with you. I, I think that she was following the leader here rather than really leading and really kind of – I don't think that when they were planning out the match, Rhea really thought about how am I going to make myself look good during the course of this match. Um, and Charlotte got the stuff that makes Charlotte look good, but what did Rhea get that made Rhea look good? from appearing on NXT proper to winning the title through Survivor Series to now, she has cooled off significantly. That's what I'm getting out of that. And, and it was weird because I really didn't think about that hard until I saw her gear for tonight. 
And they really went away from the mosh pit kid thing tonight. They made, you know, the, it was almost like that Seth Rollins all white gear. The first time he watched it, you go, whoa, okay, that's interesting. It's a little different for him. I don't know. If yeah, I thought the gear was, I don't know if it worked for her. I thought the gear was sort of a tell that she was the baby face and she was going to win tonight. Yeah, and, and like it was sort of like a WrestleMania look for a winner, which is why I was even more stunned when they started doing the leg stuff. And I was like, oh, man, th th there might be building to her tapping out. And then she tapped. She didn't just get hit with the natural selection. They tapped her out. And it was clean. There was no cheating. Yeah. Was, I mean – Okay, I, I has I may have to backtrack on that because of course doing shoulder shoulder dives at the knees is dirty pool in some ways. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. This it's a wrestling match. You're breaking down a limb. <laughs> it's it's slightly he it's heel tactics in the sense that heels work limbs. Chris, it's dirty to me because I've had knee surgery. <laughs> okay, I have a bad knee too. But like, if you bring a weakness into the ring, you exploit the weakness. I I don't. That is not a violation of the rules. It's not cheating. It, you, you might go, oh, I don't want to get hit in the knee. Me neither, buddy. But, like, that's not cheating. Yeah, I, I think, though, the plan, and I think I brought this up on either the preview or with you the week before, I think Charlotte's going to eventually main event an NXT takeover and drop this belt back right back to Rhea. But it's going to be in front of a big crowd. It's going to be in front of that hot indie-type crowd. <laughs> and I think she's going to be allowed to do – She's going to be allowed to take some of the uh, some of the training wheels off, I think, and really kind of, okay, what kind of match can she do compared to, say, her old man or something when she's main eventing a show that Vince doesn't care about too much? I mean, the other part of this, too, is that considering that there's no one here at this WrestleMania and you're talking about the potentiality of uh, in front of a crowd at a hot takeover, presumably when things are better and people are really excited to be back out and doing stuff in public and feeling good about watching something in like a large audience again. Mm -hmm. um, I think you could have a ton of buzz for Rhea getting the belt back on that night. And if you have Rhea really overwhelm and razzle dazzle will completely forget about her not killing it here at rest at air quotes wrestlemania right and i think her quote-unquote star making performance winning the title i i mean i i don't think fans i don't think it made her a big star i think it, it was kind of a little it was a little play i mean the full sale crowd and having the entire locker room come out it felt a little contrived and i think this might a big match at a takeover headlining winning back the title. I think it solidifies her star and maybe the ability to move over to a roster. I don't know yet. Maybe they're going to keep her here for a while. So it was weird, but long-term, I think it might actually be a prudent booking choice and a necessary one. Although I don't like her just tapping out clean. You still could get the belt off of her by her taking a natural selection. Yeah. Or even, you know, taking a chair to that knee before tapping out. Sure. Also not. Yeah. If you have Charlotte go to the outside and like really work the post and mm -hmm. you know, yeah, any number of things, there, there are a number of ways to make this um, more heartbreaking for Rhea rather than just it's straight up loss. Yeah. There's, there's, it's, it's very hard to rebuild. Not that you want to screw job finish every time, but it's hard to build up Rhea as 
a number one contender just because she tapped out clean. It, it's kind of like it's they're having the same going to have the same problem with Shayna Baszler if they decide to go back to that immediately with Becky Lynch. It's like you just lost. You lost clean. It might have been a fluke. It might it might have been you know whatever you think, but you still lost clean. You can't be the number one contender again. It's tricky stuff. What's next? Uh, Alistair Black beating Bobby Lashley in seven minutes and 20 seconds. Alistair Black's WrestleMania ring gear, somewhat ridiculous in my opinion. <laughs> uh, uh, that was my takeaway. That I kind of liked. Uh, <laughs> I, Bobby Lashley. You know, he's not the greatest wrestler in the world, but I... He I, has moments where he's actually good, though. Yeah, and I'm vastly entertained by him. It's one of those things, like, that, that little kiss to the two fingers on the lips to Lana before he takes the black mask. I howled. I, I, he's, he's a better actor than people give him credit for, and he was doing great work in that TNA run with Kenny King and MVP as well, being, like, that main heel. Here they've kind of, you know, we have this dopey story with Lana that's going to be going nowhere now because it's they're just a mid-card act. But uh, how did this go for Aleister Black, in your opinion? I mean, this was a very forgettable match. The finishing spot where Bobby Lashley was, quote-unquote, going for the spear, when commentary called that the second time, I thought it was really funny because, like, Lashley, in no way, shape, or form, moves into spear mode at all. He just walks into the black mass. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, you know, if this were in front of a crowd, maybe Alistair gets a bit of a bump from this as being a badass. I I just don't know. I don't know. I think the Lashley-Lana thing is such a comedy shtick thing that any – weight that Bobby Lashley as credible MMA fighter might have has been cannibalized in order to make the whole goofiness of the Lana and Lashley thing work earlier this year. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I'm, 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 you know, it's, it's one of those seven minute specials that you're not sure if it got the guy over to a point, but they tried. I, I I don't know if they tried hard enough though. Yeah. No. Next up, Otis gets the girl, defeating Dolph Ziggler in 8 minutes, 15 seconds. Friday night, we saw basically Mustafa Ali is the calculator from the DC Comics, the guy in front of all the computers with all the information that he uses to his own advantage, even though it seems, I guess, (laughs) it's funny because Alvarez and and Meltzer on their show on last night, I think we're going, well, or Friday or whenever we're going, I have no idea who that could be. <laughs> like it's obviously Mustafa Ali. There's his, there's his symbol right there. Um, so there's going to be another layer to this story, which is interesting. Uh, Sonya Deville accompanying Dolph Tucker, not accompanying Otis, which is interesting. Mandy makes her grand entrance, comes down, low blows Dolph, helps Otis get the win. Otis gets a kiss from the girl, carries her to the back, officer in a gentleman style. Oh, the passion in that kiss. Oh, the passion in that kiss. I, 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 I yearn to be kissed like that someday. We're co-workers, and we've been asked for a photo op. That's what that 
was. It wasn't even sloppy drunk at the Christmas party, coworkers. She <laughs> looked miserable going into that. It was so awkward. It looks like they missed. It looks like they missed the first time trying to kiss it. And Otis was like, well, there's going to be like gum. Gotta do my, hit my spots. I got to try and hit this lip over here because this may, chance may never come again. Um, She's yeah. so pretty. Him on the ramp. So we're going to get this for a while, I think. Um, since your basic WrestleMania 1 or 2 type of Vince McMahon sports entertainment storyline. Oh, yeah. Otis is George the Animal Steel. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I think I called that. I think I had that one. Uh, we'll see how long that goes until eventually either Tucker gets jealous and they split up the team, which is stupid, or Mandy turns on him and there was some plot all along and maybe it's to be with Ali. Which or Mandy turns on Otis to be with Tucker. Oh, that'd be interesting too. I'll take yeah, t- yeah. You know what? Tucker was really nice this whole time. <laughs> I, also, this would give you a chance to build up heel Tucker, which might be an interesting wrinkle for that guy. Not being in front of a crowd, of course, you don't get the you don't get the payoff of this whole thing. So it kind of falls a little flat and falls into your Raw slash SmackDown TV angle type category. I. You know, it was good for what it was, but it wasn't anything blow away. I think Dolph, you know, this is where Dolph is right now. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't, I mean, he he does his job, but he is not stealing the show anymore. Chris, Edge defeated Randy Orton in a last man standing match. Time of the match, 36 minutes, 35 seconds. I like to say it's not the quality of the match, Jeff, it's the length. And um, longest match in WrestleMania history. Yeah, right. And that would probably make this the second best match in WrestleMania history. This felt like 36 minutes at some point uh, during our chat uh, in our Zoom room. Someone goes, I mean, you think this is going to last three more minutes? Because I need to go get a drink. It then lasted 20 more minutes. I liked it. It was a little too close to Gargano versus Champa going through the same kind of sets, going to the same places. Why the hell do they have a chain link fence in a conference room? I'll never Because Vince McMahon like dumps flames into the boardroom to you know, really get the tensions up. He's Blofeld from the Bond movies. <laughs> okay, everybody, I'm having a meeting. Number four, give me an update. You have failed me, number four. And then I'll ah! Yes, exactly. Exactly. This is what I now expect meetings at the performance center to be like thank you chris you've now given me a visual i will never be able to unsee uh of course there's a ladder near a table at one point um i liked it mostly it just went on and on i mean if you edited this down it would have been fine so here's again the real crime of this it's all pre-taped just edit it just edit it it yeah. didn't need to be 35 minutes. I got the ending, of course, being a concerto on top of a trailer truck, I think, after Randy tries to go for the punt. I always like when they try and bring back the punt. Randy Orton gets his big win and his revenge. Do we see Do we see Edge? Or did I say Randy? Wait, yeah, Randy Orton gets Sorry. his big win. He got a chair to that. Yeah, Edge Edge gets his revenge. Do we see Edge stick around, or is he gone for the foreseeable future? 
he could stick around, but I, I mean, I think it'll be more like they relaunch Edge for big angles. I, I don't see him being around right now with COVID-19 being a thing. I, I think, you know, he, he will come back at some point, but, but I think it might be, you know, after the storm has passed, so to speak. I tend to think if this had been a big WrestleMania in front of an audience, we may have seen a retirement tomorrow at Raw. I, I do. I, much like Goldberg a couple years ago. I just, I think, I think they're going to do one more big program so that he gets the big pop and it'll probably be a revenge match by Orton. Cause I think those two really like working together. Um, but I'm, I'm going to be very, inter- I hope he's not a week to week performer. No, I don't want him to be week to week, but, but like, for example, it would be fun to have Christian come back and essentially tell edge, go and make one more run for the title do the one more match thing. Yeah. I don't think they see a lot in Christian. Um, ever. Well, but but Edge would force the issue. Oh yeah, I, I could yeah, yeah. I I was a little. I'm always a little wary when guys come back from major injuries, and then Vince immediately makes them get involved with ladders. What is that about him? I, I like it's a weird pathology about well, him. Is, where this is how they remember you, Edge. They remember you from all the TLC matches and stuff. But but he likes to do that with other people too. It's and it is when they're fresh back from injury. It's like yeah, he likes to put them in, the in high risk scenarios. Exactly. Always, yeah. Always. They did with Daniel Bryan. They do with Sheamus. They've done it with Sin Cara. Oh, yeah, the list, uh, Luke Harper back before he became Vince McMahon. It's like this trial by fire, weird He-Man anti-medical sort of approach. No, I mean, but, you know, if it wasn't so long, I think we'd be talking a lot about this. If it wasn't... And you've got to grade it harder when it's long because they had the ability to edit it down. Yeah, and if, if they hadn't gone through so many set pieces that Gargano and Ciampa had done, I, I think it, I think we'd have higher marks for it, you know, use some more space somewhere to do it. Um, but I think they also kind of said, hey, Edge, what do you want to do? Because this is your match and this is your coming back. And, and it, it became a bit of a jam band. It became a bit, okay, I'll do this solo. <laughs> and the solo keeps going, <laughs> keeps going, keeps going. Start looking at your watch a little bit, keeps going. And then it ends hot. So it's one of those things like, do you remember the hot ending? Or do you remember the solo that was going on for 20 minutes? That it could have been five or six. It, like a thing I would have liked to have seen in this match and I was kind of hoping for was a bunch of like the out of nowhere RKO being a recurring motif throughout the match as they move from different places. Like Randy Orton finds another place to blindside edge with another RKO throughout the duration of the match. Mm. Never completely getting to 10 seconds or whatever. But if you're going to have this, we're moving around constantly thing, that gives Randy lots of opportunities to use the environment to stalk and ambush and hit him with the RKO. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Uh, I think Edge did a lot of the stuff here, although Orton, Orton, that, that cut on the back was nasty about 25 minutes in. Um, I think I might have been expecting a little bit more from Randy Orton in this match. I know it was I know it was a walk and brawl type of thing. I, I but uh, you know I I'm not I'm not down on this match. I'm down on the length, but I I liked it. I just didn't love it. 
Yeah, I, I just don't think you can go 35 minutes just walking and brawling and keep engagement, especially with no audience to sort of play or get roaring and really build up. Like they weren't – it wasn't as though it was a steady progression and sort of steady escalation throughout those 35 minutes. Yeah, I, I, I think – It plateaued. Jump, jumping off a ladder to a guy through a table should knock him out for 10 seconds. Um, and then having to go from that to build up to a concerto. It, I understand the logic in it because I think they were trying to build. I just don't know if that worked. Yeah. No, they were trying to build towards the end. I'm just saying in, there was 20 minutes in the middle that was basically the same level of tension throughout. I think before the next match, Rob Gronkowski won the 24-7 title. Jumping down from the crow's nest, landing on a bunch of wrestlers, including his buddy, Mojo Raleigh, and a bunch of wrestlers I think were just local talent hired for the day. And then he proceeded to kick Mojo Raleigh a couple times before running off. Chris, he is now an on-screen character. We will see for how long. I mean, it's Gronk. This, what, I hope maybe we get Edge versus Gronk. Is he reporting to the PC when this whole thing is over? To train up and really kind of yeah. nail the hard camera? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I hope so. Oh, you popped me on that one, you son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we need to bring in Finn Balor and Shinsuke Nakamura to work the hard camera for two years before we call them up. They really need to learn something. Yeah, do that with Gronk especially. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Gronk? Can you dance more? <laughs> I, I feel like if you tell him that, that's all he'll do in his matches. He'll dance more than No Way Jose. Next up, the Street Profits, your tag team champions from Raw, Angelo Dawkins and Montez Ford, defeated Angel Garza and Austin Theory with Zelina Vega in 6 minutes, 20 seconds. Kind of went how I thought it was going to go. Uh, you know, Austin Theory is kind of a fill-in here. He gets a little right, yeah. line. Angel Garza is kind of the guy that they want to push if Andrade isn't there, but they are not quite ready to do it, but he gets a lot of shine here. Dawkins and Ford both do their thing. Um, I think probably the most interesting part of this match, other than that, Bianca Belair makes her appearance, assuming she's going to be on the main roster from here on out. Chris, your thoughts on this match before I go into it? I don't have uh, like a lot to say about this. This is another one of these matches where it, you get that watching Raw, watching SmackDown in an empty arena vibe. Um, yeah, it was fine for what it was. I have no interest in Bianca Belair being roped in with the Street Profits and them just being this entertaining group that's has titles, but they're not really considered tag team champions. And they're doing six-person intergender matches back and forth, and it becomes a lot like comes a lot like the Kevin Owens, Seth Rollins story with the Viking Raiders, AOP, Buddy Murphy stuff, where it's just them week after week after week after week after week, and there's no build to it. Also, I'm more worried that they end up like tons of funk. Yes, no, that's exactly my worry that they become the entertaining African American act that we don't take seriously as athletes. They're just out there to have fun and have a good time. And I'm, I'm not, 
I'm not the biggest fan of Bianca Belair as a baby face. Got to be honest with you. I think the hair whip is a heel gimmick. I think she's athletic as hell. Don't get me wrong. I think she, she, if they let her loose, which they won't, they're going to find her pattern and whatever she can do. But like, I haven't seen that breakout awesome match from her since the May Young Classic, since she was, since her first real thing. And I'm a little worried that she just becomes a dancing gimmick or something on this show. And I don't want that to happen. I think these guys are so great. I'm a little worried about it. Because okay. Let me try to assuage. Things. Let me try to assuage some of your fears. I can't, you know, tell you that Vince's grinched out heart is going to grow three sizes here at the end of this comment. But I think if we look a little earlier in the card, getting the belt off of Rhea in the way they got the belt off of Rhea, and then also what you're talking about, the larger cooling off of Rhea Ripley, maybe is the beginning of opening up the door for Bianca versus Charlotte. Because remember, the other person in that Rhea-Charlotte mess was Bianca, sort of saying, you don't even go here. So maybe we're returning back to bianca and charlotte and moving away from Rhea, maybe Rhea's getting cooled down even more than we realize i don't think bianca goes back to nxt i don't think we see her again there i think she's main roster all the way i could you could talk me into montez turning on angelo dawkins and them being a power couple type thing much like andrade and charlotte king tez and queen bianca could be kind of fun yeah i i could see them doing a king of the ring and making him king tez officially I could, I could very well see that. I, I just, it's one of those things where I look at this and I go, this has potential to be great or it has potential to just be another bad gimmick for an African-American act that, you know, we all look at Vince and we know his proclivities. So, I mean, we'll have to wait and see, but it's just one of those things where I watched that. I went, okay, that's an interesting way to debut Bianca. You'd think it would be, a bigger deal and i just it's one of those things where I, I i say proceed with caution next aunt pam successfully defends her wwe smackdown women's title in a fatal five-way elimination match beating lacey evans naomi sasha banks and tamina little bit of dissension on the on the part of aunt pam and her sassy friend but they didn't go hard into it, which I liked. I liked that it was an accidental hit. She tried to make good on it, Chris. She, she said, hey, it was an accident. Although she didn't exactly jump up and try and save Sasha from uh, the women's right after Lacey hit her. I liked the way they got Tamina out of the match. I thought Lacey Evans was okay. I was a little shocked at how Naomi went out, so simple. And I wasn't pleased with the finish, to be honest with you. I get I get the no disqualification stiff in multi-person matches. It's just stupid. Go ahead and disqualify somebody from a multi-person match and have somebody be the winner if they come in and interfere. Uh, I was thinking, I was thinking Sasha was going to make Bailey lose. I'm kind of glad that they, I hope they back off of this for a while and just let it build. And maybe they go after the tag titles against bliss and cross. Um, a good match, nothing, Nothing special. The team B, you know, they, they kind of did a team bad reunion for a second. Don't really think they mentioned it on commentary. They just kind of did the set piece. 
Uh, do you have any strong thoughts about this? No, I, I don't really have any <laughs> strong thoughts about this. Like Lacey Evans is a very poorly cast baby face and especially feuding against Bailey. It's just not connecting. I thought they were going to put the belt on her tonight. I got to be honest. I, I thought they were too, but if they're not going to do it here, they should just, I, I don't know, consider a reset with her. Yeah. Which they already tried once in the midst of this, in the build of this, they did a reset. Remember the sit down interview? Right, right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. And they, yeah. And they did nothing. I mean, they, they botched everything about this women's division on SmackDown. It's except maybe, you know, the Kabuki warriors, Alexa bliss, you know, the, 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 the people who are, who were already veterans are already established there. But uh, I did howl at Bailey yelling at Naomi, go dance to the back. I thought that was, I, I, some of the chatter tonight was kind of funny. Uh, Charlotte Flair makes way too many sound effects for my liking, but I understand why you're trying to cover for things and try and create action. Um, but yeah, nothing nothing huge in, in this match other than uh continuation of or the start of the uh dissension between Bailey and Sasha, and I'm kinda here for that. And I'm hoping that they act like real friends and make up and then uh but there's always that there's always that chance that something's gonna set somebody off. I, I kinda dig Yeah, that. what I want is for Bailey to start putting Sasha in risky situations I, I we, we've talked about this before but bailey needs to be the dick here yeah yeah bailey needs to be the bad one um and she needs to go even fuller heel it, it, as opposed to it needs to start as this way with it being an accident and then eventually it starts to be on purpose uh, and i think that'll be cool chris we are to a cinematic event of epic proportions in 13 minutes, in the very first Firefly Funhouse match, the fiend Bray Wyatt defeated John Cena in the most inside baseball match in WWE history. I can it, sum it up. Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Discourse Twitter. I liked this more than I liked Boneyard match. See you, bye. I quit. Huh. <laughs> Do tell. Make your case. Look, I, I think, yeah, it's inside baseball, but the tell here, 13 minutes. It didn't overstay its way. I mean, it was friggin' weird. Um, it, like, I, I don't know what the hell I watched, but if, we, if we're saying we like things like the final deletion, I don't know why this isn't the final deletion, right? If we're saying we like things like the Boneyard match, I don't know why this isn't then in consideration for that. And so all I said was I liked this more than the Boneyard match. And, and frankly, I liked it more than Edge and Randy Orton. Like That was just so arduously long. Um, I thought it was like, like – it's like not a match. And it was like freaking weird. But I, kind of, I got it. Um, and in a lot of ways – we were talking about John Cena and Bray Wyatt not necessarily having a particularly interesting or engaging match. Consider some of the same limitations of John Cena, the five moves of doom. Bray Wyatt, 
has not always, you know, razzle-dazzled us with his in-ring ability. What's always made Bray Wyatt good has been him talking and him doing the character work. Uh, so you're using a lot of the same smoke and mirrors you would use with The Undertaker, only you're doing it through John Cena and Bray Wyatt, who are a little bit better at doing this. Um, it's weird. I'm not going to like go back and watch it again, but I, I don't know. I, I enjoyed it more than I enjoyed the Boneyard match. We got our first S-bomb on WWE television ever with Vince McMahon puppet yelling, it's good shit, pal. I, I, I had to do a double take when I heard that. I was like, did they really go that inside baseball? They did. They did. Right. They, they also did plenty of stuff that fans would recognize. The fist from SmackDown, ruthless aggression, John Cena. The Doctor of Thugonomics, John Cena, Saturday night's main event, including the, the original music, the, the original music song Obsession or Human League, depending right. on what yeah. they're doing. Was a little shocked by that. Gotta be honest with you. I didn't think they had the rights to that song anymore, but maybe they do. Um, just seemed to be a kind of a cinematic series of vignettes before the fiend gives him a uh, sister Abigail and uh, apparently won the match. Okay, so so if we want to kind of break this down a little bit more, what Bray Wyatt is doing throughout all of these sequences is the equivalent of during a match when the heel works a limb. In this case, the limb being worked is Cena's mind. Well, I, I will go. I will go another step. There, there's a there's an old old TV trope. Uh, of of these types of things where it can be a clip show from time to time as well. But you have, you know, you're doing basically a journey through a character's subconscious. And that's what right. this guy was doing. There, there's an episode of Family Ties that did that fairly well. Uh, my go-to is always the Tick versus Proto Clown from the cartoon where Tick gets knocked into space and ends up going on a journey through his subconscious before falling back into orbit. And it's probably my, one of my favorite episodes of television ever uh, including the only saturday morning cartoon with a dick joke i've ever seen in it um <laughs> yeah i i think oh well where where the chairs trying to draw on the moon uh i i no 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 that was a chair face episode no this is where he's he's like He's like walking through the desert and he goes, you have a chance to ask your, your conscious all one question. And he goes, Hey, how's it going? And just a big thumb comes up, but there's a point where he's walking and he falls into this pit of water and, and it's a snake that <laughs> wraps around him. He goes, Oh no, it's your defense mechanisms or, or it's, no, that that's not the defense mechanisms part, but he falls into this pit. He's fighting with the snake and the snake looks at him and goes, you don't date much, do you? <laughs> Well, go, to go back to defense mechanisms, this is, I, I think, where I, I started to kind of get the wrestling match motif that they were trying to write into this, which is Cena's trying to defend himself. Uh, when, when he gets, you know, moved into the Doctor of Thugonomics world, he realizes that he's constrained by the gimmick and he can only push back against Bray in the form of rhyming couplets. And he's still trying to mount defenses, but yeah, Bray continues to, to against it, but it's right. like, Hey, I've made you this, this. It's, it's a little bit of an homage to the Sopranos when, when that just that terrible episode I hated at the time where Tony wakes up and he's a salesman 
all of a sudden, but he's still Tony Soprano, but he's living somebody else's life at the same time. Um, I hate that episode. Yeah, I, I think it was. <laughs> like, it's weird. It's, it's arty. I, I don't art. love it, but like, it, it, like, look, I like it more than, you know, we we're talking about Chris Jericho and Matt Hardy. I liked uh, it better than that. I got to be honest with you. I thought, oh, I, yeah. I thought Jericho, look, I liked the Jericho thing, but I just don't see Jericho as a comedy character. It's one of those weird things where I thought Jericho plays in too much of the, of the comedy to be considered main event. In this, John Cena's always been a little self-aware. He's all, you know, he always makes those wink, nod, nod things to this was a match basically booked for the internet crowd for the figure four wrestling message boards for the voices of wrestling, Slack chat discords. You know, this, this was, this was all right. Smarky fans. We're going to do this for you. We had a Husky Harris reference in there. In addition to having one on, on WWE's Twitter earlier there was a john cena promo that they took down because uh, for whatever reason but he basically said i'm basically fighting husky harris in a sweater you know we we you know we had all the all the cheeky you know nods to wwe's past and their style and you know okerland and all these other things i uh i don't know if i liked it but i didn't hate it i think it was brave choice Oh yeah, certainly compared to what if the Firefly Funhouse had just been another plunder, bash and brawl in an actual funhouse where they were whomping each other with mallets? Yeah, like we were like talking a, like about a, that, like a '60s Batman fight scene in in like the Riddler Joker's lair. Exactly, yeah. and it wasn't that, and the fact that it was essentially like staged in Cena's mind. I don't know, man. I give him credit. I give him credit for creativity on this. And, like, the editing and the execution was really cool. Like, they, like This is another example of something where they should have ran credits at the end of it because I thought that this was really well produced. Um, it's just, I mean, it's different. It's, it's not a match. But then again, remember, what were you expecting out of John Cena versus Bray Wyatt in terms of a wrestling match? And did this probably exceed what they would have done in seven minutes in the standard WWE format. Inside out, Herman's head, panic room, the Firefly Funhouse match, all things that took place in people's heads. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still trying to process it. I got to be honest with you. I still, how do you leave out the spell from that list? Cause I never saw it. Oh God. Great movie. Great movie. Not a JLo fan. I liked her in out of sight and that's pretty much it. What about the great Vincent D'Onofrio? Well, no, D'Onofrio's great no. in everything. I just don't want to Just out here him. hating on Vincent D'Onofrio, huh? No, D'Onofrio's one of my heroes. Are you kidding me? Wow. God, Jeff Hawkins hates Vincent D'Onofrio. This, this. This, this is a tough you WrestleMania to stop, night. You need to stop this because I'm starting to take this personally. All right. All right. <laughs> all right. I, I'm sorry that I had to reveal it. Probably the best kingpin ever, Vincent D'Onofrio. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, full metal jacket. Piece of art. I'm trying to think of other Vincent D'Onofrio roles offhand that I really, really liked. I kind of dug him on Law and Order, but I didn't watch Law and Order all that much. Uh, anywho, he's got great range. He's got great range. It's, it's a shame you don't appreciate him. You, you need to shut your hole. Um, <laughs> and then finally, the main event of night two, the coronation that a lot of people expected so that Brock doesn't have to deal with this empty arena stuff. Drew McIntyre defeated Brock Lesnar. In four minutes and 35 seconds, better or worse than Strowman versus Goldberg? I'm going to say better 
I didn't lull at the end of it, so that's a good thing. But it was uh, just finishers, though. Again. Yeah, it was just finishers. It, I mean, it, this is the Brock phone it in special, man. I miss man four or five years ago, and he was like throwing punches and doing lots of suplexes, and there's something organic happening in his matches. He was kind of finding a style in this new iteration of himself, and those matches ruled. This sucks. It wasn't good. I I didn't like it. I got to be honest with you. I thought it was okay. Um, but, like, how do you get someone over with that? And, and like, in, in this case, Drew McIntyre claymored the hell out of Brock Lesnar on the ramp, like, um, not, like, weeks ago um, in the buildup to this. So he was winning in the go-home to this. And then he, you know, beats Brock Lesnar in relatively short order in this match. But, I, I mean... It's just no heat transfer, man. No heat transfer at all. Mm. It's like that poison song. F five him in the basement, in the corner store, in the, <laughs> in the behind the bushes till he's just screaming for more. Screaming for more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it was just F fives and Claymore kicks. Okay. Is he a star now, Chris? Take it, CC. Vanity, vanity. <laughs> Is 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 Drew McIntyre a marketable star now? I really like Drew McIntyre. I think he's a really interesting, compelling guy. He's a great talker. I think he's a marketable star. I don't think that this was a star-making performance, but like, how do you make a star in an empty arena? Bigger star, Drew McIntyre or Braun Strowman? Probably Braun Strowman yeah. still. Mm-hmm. I I agree. I think a lot of Drew's star potential is going to be seen tomorrow. If they, if they decided, if they've cut a promo for him already, if he comes out and kind of does that soft shoe thing he was doing when he beat no way Jose that one time. I don't see this lasting that long. I got to be honest with you. I think it needs to be kind of serious, kind of badass, but not, not too stone cold. Know what I'm saying? Yeah, he needs to make some sort of major statement on Raw. No, and, and like, I think he really needs to take over yeah. this Raw tomorrow and be, like, sitting ringside. Maybe he demands to get on commentary. and Like, it may, that would actually be an interesting gimmick. Get the champion to be on commentary, especially in an empty arena. He can kind of be mostly just calling matches, but then you can work some angles, obviously, with him. Yeah, so any final thoughts on this WrestleMania weekend? Wow. I mean, it was just too big for two nights. I mean, or for one night, and so you had to spread over two. Yeah, I am still in the camp that they never should have done this show. I... No, they, I, they absolutely should have done this show, and if they insisted on going forward with it, see my comments earlier in the show about how they should have executed that. But exactly. um, they, think... they just completely mishandled executing this show. This, this was stubbornness. This was... Look, I understand that we, we're here to entertain people in these times of trouble. No, but it okay, wasn't about that. That was the veneer. That was the veneer. It was Vince clinging to normalcy. Yeah. He refused to accept the, the situation in the world that he seeks to entertain with his wrestling, um, that that world had changed and has changed right now and, and will be changed for a while. Um, you know, it will resume normalcy again at some point, but it's not normal right now. And Vince wanted normalcy. It was the reason he forced his way 
up to this. I um, mean, he wanted to get the state essentially to cancel it or force him to not do it in an arena. He, he wanted either to seem like the victim or to be the one person bravely, you know, going out in the storm when everyone else is sheltering in place. Well, I think wanting the city to cancel it versus him canceling it is more of an insurance thing. I don't, I don't necessarily fault him for that because if he just goes, we're not going to put this on as, as magnanimous as that is, you're on the hook for it. So it, it's one of those things where that game of chicken, I don't think it came off too well on that whole thing. I, I just think, Look, I understand you got a television contract and you got to fill shows, and I get that. And I get that there were ways to do things. I am still a little negative on how they decided to basically do their same product with an empty arena and not try and be a little bit more creative. Like we look, even if you hated either the Boneyard match or the Firefly Funhouse, they showed that WWE can be an out of the box thinking kind of company. And I think, you know, if they'd go hard into that a little bit more, they'd have a little bit more success just filming things for TV until we get back to normal. And you can show stuff from your archives during that time because there ain't a lot else on other than news. Do it like a studio show. Um, and, you know, uh, the, the, the 80s style, they're in the studio, they're talking, you have, I don't know, two hosts, a wrestler, maybe Drew McIntyre and Michael Cole. And they're talking. Drew McIntyre's the champion. He's kind of setting stuff up. And Michael Cole goes, oh, we've got this very strange tape from Bray Wyatt this week. And then we go to the Bray Wyatt segment. And then maybe we go back to the studio again. Drew McIntyre and Michael Cole reset everything again. And then Michael Cole throws it to our first match of the evening. And it's whoever. And we go down to the empty arena and we watch the match. And then we come back to the studio. I think they need to just make this – a studio framed show yeah. for right now. I, I would agree. Um, yeah. The, I mean, you basically got our thoughts over the past two nights and especially mine. Cause I've just been talking up a storm. going to rest up my voice. Cause next two weeks are NXT takeover. Chris, um, we'll see how Is it goes. too big for one week. So we're spreading it over two weeks. I believe so. I believe it. We're spreading it over two weeks. Don't quote me on that though, but at least Wednesday night, will be nxt's night to shine maybe but anyways i'd like to thank rob mccarran for joining me for two shows this week you can follow him at rob from indiana you can follow me at crap game 13 i'm usually on my nonsense during the week you can follow chris at chris novembrino you just want to follow the show for updates and whatnot you can follow that at shake them ropes all one word Chris also does other varieties of podcasts during this time of binge watching. You may fall upon something that he is watching as well. Oh yeah. If you want to get at me and talk about Star Trek, I'm now into Star Trek enterprise. Star Trek enterprise is awesome. So if you're looking with, for something that has consistent through line booking enterprise is the most kind of one episode pays off into the next episode of the Star Trek series other than Deep Space Nine. I'd say they're on par on that level. Um, I really enjoy Enterprise, but that's not what I'm here to plug. Don't worry about the government's my other show. Go and listen to that. Uh, there's also the All in the Family podcast. You can listen to that. It's about All in the Family. And you can find me at Chris Ovenbrino and don't worry, at DWATG. Look, I'd offered a live stream episodes of Homicide Life on the Streets, but number one, they're podcast about, but number one, they're not streaming anywhere. And number two, it's a show that's been off the air for almost 25 years. <laughs> we will see you next weekend. Download Trek Talk.